Uh, welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. The message that you're about to watch is a message about joy. It's a message about the joy of our salvation, the joy of what it means to be a Christian, and how easy it is to forget that sometimes. And so the idea is that a spiritual discipline that we have to have as Christians is to remember. And so uh, thank you for being here. If you need anything, if you need to connect, if you need to talk to somebody, you can text the number at the bottom of the screen and we would love to meet you and we would love to be with you. We love you guys. Thanks for being here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is First Peter chapter 1. This is a, a pretty remarkable passage, isn't it? This is Peter. So, so Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He loved Jesus. And according to Scripture, he ate breakfast with the resurrected Christ. And so he was close to this event of, of Jesus. And the thing that you see when you read that passage, at least for me, the thing that jumps off the page is, you know, the, the exuberance, the enthusiasm, the joy that it brings him to talk about what Jesus has done. And so I want to begin today with an important but difficult question. Does your faith sound like that? Does your faith feel like that? Does, you know, the, the story of God's redemption of the world through Jesus Christ, does it lead us to greatly rejoice? Does our faith that leads to the salvation of our very being fill us with what the Apostle Peter calls an inexpressible and glorious joy? This is an important question for everyone in this room who, who calls ourselves a Christian. C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven. Ronald Newhouse says that there's nothing more contradictory than an unenthusiastic Christian. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much, in fact, that God gave his only son so that all who believe in him will have everlasting life. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from God's love. And if we really believe that, then we can't help but overflow with joy. But I think that if you're honest with yourself in the question that I posed a few moments ago, does your faith feel like what exudes from that passage from Peter? I think that the answer to that question is probably like, not really. Sometimes. Not as often as it should. You know, joy is something that, that we seem to struggle with. And I think that the reason that we struggle with it is simple. You know, the reason that we Christians struggle to feel that kind of joy, uh, even though we believe and confess what we just sang in that beautiful song, from the heavens came a savior, from the ground arose a king. The reason that we struggle with joy, I think, is because we forget. 
There's something about our faith that makes the joy easy to forget. Now, many of us have had moments, I know that, I sit with people in this church, we've had moments of our life where we feel the joy. You know, we have moments of our life or even seasons where the joy of our faith is crystal clear. I've, t- I've talked about this a few times uh, from stage, but when I was in college, I had a moment. Like I had like an experience. And so I don't talk about it often because it's hard to, to describe, it's hard to articulate. But the best way that I can describe it is that I had a moment where the presence of God was close and it was overwhelming and it was real. And the joy that I felt in my bones in that moment, you know, the joy after years and years and years of wrestling and struggling and pushing back, the joy that I felt when I submitted and allowed myself to believe that the creator and sustainer of all of the universe chose me and chased me and found me and won me, the joy that I had in that moment, man, that joy was real. But I forget that sometimes, you know, and I think that we all forget sometimes. It's easy to forget, isn't it? We forget who God is. We forget who we are. We forget what he has done. We forget just how dramatically he's moved heaven and earth just to to have us. We forget our salvation. We forget our story. And I think that one of the reasons we forget our story is because we forget the story. And so part of the faith practice in the healthy Christian life is to remember Almost like remembering is a spiritual discipline in and of itself. We have to remember the story. We have to remember who we are. We have to remember what we're a part of. And we have to remember our joy. We are approaching Easter Sunday. Like as Christians in a church, Easter Sunday is supposed to be a day that is filled with such rapturous joy that the watching world grows concerned about us strange Christians. You know, like to believe in resurrection is strange, but the joy that ought to overflow from us as a church because of that belief should probably be the strangest thing about us. And so today I don't really want to give heavy application. I'm not really going to ask you to go home and to do anything. What I want to do today is I want to set the stage for our Easter celebration by telling the beautiful story of God redeeming and reconciling the world through his son. The story that I believe, if we remember it, can lead to nothing other than inexpressible and glorious joy. And so what I'm going to do here in a second is going to be a lot. I know that. I'm going to try to summarize the history of God's redemption, the history that has led to our salvation. You know, you and I and the the Big C Church, the global church, we don't just appear out of nowhere. We are a product of history the history of God redeeming the world. And so to tell our story, we have to tell the history of God redeeming the world. We have to talk about creation. We have to talk about sin and the fall. We have to talk about Israel and exile and Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection and beyond. And so I understand that depending on your background, like this could be overwhelming to hear all of this, but I also want you to understand that that's kind of the point. I want us to be overwhelmed today. I want us to be overwhelmed with what God has done to find us, with his movement in the world. I want us to be overwhelmed by his pursuit of us, by his refusal to go on without us. Because I want us to be overwhelmed by the joy that comes from that truth and from that story. And so it's okay if some of the things that I talk about, you know, uh, 
you, you don't understand precisely or you have questions about. Today, it is the scale and the breadth and the drama of what God has done to redeem the world that I want us to walk out of here with, that I want us to, to, to flood our hearts with. Because I think that remembering the story and being overwhelmed by it is perhaps the beginning of joy. And so before we start the story, the question that I want to ring in our minds as we go through this is can we remember our joy today? Can we Christians in this room who, who claim to believe this story, can we remember our joy? To tell the story, you have to go back to the beginning. And one of the most joyful stories in the whole scriptures is the creation story. You know, like an artist who creates out of passion and love, God breathes this beautiful world into existence. Genesis 1 is a story of celebration. Like God does not create all of this, including you and I, because he needs to or because he has to. He creates all of this, including you and I, because he wants to. It delights him to do so. It is a joyful occasion of God's love to create this devastatingly beautiful world. There's this passage in Job that talks about the creation of the world that haunts me. It's Job chapter 38. And if you're familiar with the book of Job, the main character Job has an issue with the way that God is running the world. And so he demands a hearing with God so he can air his grievances. And God shows up to the hearing. And it doesn't go very well for Job. God starts to ask him questions about where Job was when he created all of this. You know, you have a lot of opinions about how this world should be run. Where were you when, when all of this got put together? And so at the end of this, listen to the way that he describes the moment of creation. Job chapter 38. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Can we remember the joy of creation? Can we remember the joy of existence? Can we remember that the morning stars sang together and all of the angels shouted for joy as the creative power of God brought forth this world? So how did all this start? Well, this good world was created in love. And guess how that story of the creation, the joyful creation of this world comes to, to its climax. God puts us in charge of it. He calls us images of God. To be an image of God is not simply to be in his likeness. It is to be responsible over his world. So think about that. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what does God think about me? Does he even like me? Is he ashamed of me? Does he believe in me? Well, according to the very first page of the Bible, he put you in charge of his glorious, joyful, celebrated creation. And so this good world was created in love, and you were created with a purpose. There's a call on your life. Every person in this room, if you're a human being, to be an image in charge of creation, to rule the world on his behalf and in his name. He is the good king, and we have the joyful honor and privilege of ruling this world on his behalf, in his character, and in his name. Can we remember the joy of our purpose before you do anything in this life, before you accomplish anything in this life? That is who you are. 
That is what God thinks of you. That is what you were created to be. Can we remember the joy of purpose? You know, a lot of people in this world today struggle with purpose. What is the meaning of my life? What purpose do I have in this world? Well, this is the first page of the story of God. Your purpose is endless. It's limitless. It is without bounds because we were created to rule on behalf of him. And so this good world was created in love and you and I were created with a purpose, but sin has separated us from him. If you know the story of Genesis chapter three, the fall, this is a story where they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you have to remember that to eat from that tree is to take the throne from God because this is not our world. We have been joyfully delegated authority of it, but this is God's world. He's the king. This is his domain. And so he decides right and wrong. He decides good and evil. So to eat from the tree, to decide good and evil for ourselves is to take the throne and put ourselves in the rightful place of God. And, and, and this is something that resonates deeply with us because you read this story and we all know that there is something deep within us that does not want to submit does not want to surrender to him. And so we live this life mired in and marred by sin. And that sin separates us relationally from God, that's for sure. Because how can you be in intimate communion with a king that you have rejected and rebelled against? And so we're separated from God. And to go against or to be opposed of the God of life leads to death. That's, that's logical. And that's for sure. If you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. That was the warning. And death is not only something that comes upon us because of our sin. It is something that we bring into the world. I mean, read the news. You know, look at the current events. It's hard to argue against that, that, that we do bring death into the world. We're supposed to bring life because we're supposed to rule on behalf of the God of life. And so we get to this point where we, beautiful joyfully created beings who God put in charge of his beautiful, joyfully created world are essentially ruining his good creation. We become exactly what we are not supposed to be. And you read that tragedy and it's like, what is God's response to that gonna be? How is God gonna respond to that tragedy? And God's response immediately following the rebellion is to promise salvation and reconciliation. Can we remember the joy of God's gracious promise? And the rest of the Bible, starting from that point forward, is the rescue mission of God. The rest of the Bible, all the way through Jesus, is the rescue mission of God. And so sin has separated us from God, but God has done everything in his power to reconcile us back to him. He chooses a man named Abraham. He says, through you, I'm gonna make a nation, and through that nation, I'm going to bless the world. All of these rebels, all of these people opposed to me, through you, I am going to love and bless and redeem my enemies back into relationship with me. God finds Abraham in history a man who lived and said to him, through you, salvation, redemption, mission, purpose, and hope. Can we remember the joy of God moving in history, in our world, in our space, just to save us? But sin remains a problem. For the people of God suffer from the same thing as the people in the garden and the same thing that you and I suffer from. 
They struggle to put God in his proper place. They struggle to keep him on the throne. They don't believe what he has for them is the best thing. They don't trust him. And so they don't follow his commands and they worship other gods. Now, God's people, God has entered into a covenant with them. When we in our world, in our social context, think of covenant, we think of marriage, right? The marriage covenant. And so God has married his people. By worshiping other gods, his people are essentially committing adultery. And this is the metaphor that the biblical prophets use. And so not only is the whole world in rebellion against God, but his own people, the people that he chose to bring redemption, that he has been a faithful husband to or unfaithful to him. And the result is what it has always been to do this. To be opposed to God is to subject yourself to exile, alienation, the crumbling of God's kingdom and, and death, even for those graciously, lovingly, and joyfully chosen to redeem the world. And so you read that story, and the natural question is like, is all hope lost? After all that, all that rebellion, all that sin, all that unfaithfulness, is all hope lost? Can we remember the joy of God's answer to that question? You know what the answer to that question is that God gives? Jesus. The answer to that question is what Paul says in Romans, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Can we remember the joy of God insisting on saving us while we were yet sinners, rebels, and adulterers? God makes his most extreme move. This is the joy of Christmas. In the church, we celebrate Christmas as the incarnation. It's the moment when God becomes flesh and blood. He enters into our time and space. He enters into a condition like us, and he walks amongst us. You have to understand, God insists on having a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know what he's like, and so he becomes just like us, and he shows us. He walks amongst us. He announces that the long-awaited kingdom of God, the kingdom that we have all been waiting for, has come because the true king has come, God in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. He fulfills the mission of Israel. He shows power and miracles and healings. He teaches and displays what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes to fruition. Jesus' life, this is what it looks like when God is in charge. Grace, mercy, provision, abundance, blessing, and healing. He announces through his word indeed that he is the king and that he's here to save us, to find us. Can we remember the joy of God emptying himself and finding us right where we are in this world and in our condition, which leads to the, the paradoxical joy of Good Friday, which we're approaching. Jesus, God in the flesh, the true king, is rejected. He's rejected both by his own people, Israel, and he's rejected by the wider world, Rome, and he's subjected to a torturous, brutal death on a cross reserved for the lowest of the low, the, the, the lowest rung of society in that culture. And the powers of sin and evil and darkness and death culminate. You see the Son of God on, on the cross, vulnerable, subject to death, and they extinguish themselves upon him, and he suffers the consequence of sin on the cross, as it has always been, alienation from God, and ultimately death. In the garden, they eat from the tree, 
and they're sent east of the presence of God, exiled, alienated from him. On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Separated. He takes upon himself the separation that we bring into the world, that we bring into our own life. And death, if you eat from this tree in the garden, you shall surely die. And on the cross, it says that, that God in the flesh gives up his spirit, gives up his breath, and he dies the death that we bring into the world and that we bring upon ourselves. The joy of Easter Sunday. Because he doesn't stay dead. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, Death is our destination. Jesus becomes sin on our behalf. He faces down the powers of death on the cross. He dies by them. He is buried, but then he is raised. And so if the cost or the price or the consequences of sin is death, but Jesus defeats death, then what power does sin have over him? This thing, sin, that enslaves us, that it feels like we can't get away from, that brings death into our life, if Jesus has defeated death, the consequence of sin, then what power does sin have? What happens to sin? It's defeated. Death is defeated in the resurrection, and sin is defeated in the resurrection. And so we now stand with Paul, who quotes the Psalms and taunts in one of his letters, where, O oh, death, is your power? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Jesus, through his life, Death and resurrection has become the true image of God. He has defeated death. He's inaugurated the kingdom. He has truly triumphed victoriously over all that must be set right in this world. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he become flesh and blood? Why did he empty himself? Why did he walk amongst us? Why did he subject himself to sin and evil and death? According to Hebrews chapter 12, it was for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he has rescued, redeemed, and reconciled us to him. This is the reality of our history that we step into. Second century church father, Melito of Sardis, says the Lord suffered for the sake of him who suffered and was bound for the sake of him who was imprisoned and was judged for the sake of the condemned and was buried for the sake of the buried. And so come, all families of human beings who are defiled by sins and receive remission of sins, for I am your remission. I am the Passover of salvation. I am the lamb sacrificed for your sake. I am your ransom. I am your life. I am your resurrection. I am your light. I am your salvation. I am your king. I lead you towards the height of heaven. I will show you the eternal father and I will raise you up with my right hand. Can we remember the joy of our saving king defeating sin and death for us and inviting us into that reality? This is a beautiful story, but the story is not finished because not only are we, the church, recipients of redemption, we become participants in redemption. The joy of the church. Jesus tells his disciples that he will come back one day and he will set to rights all that is wrong with both his people and with the world. But in the meantime, this group, which starts with his disciples and through thousands of years of history, has led to us, this group of forgiven, redeemed, and justified images of God are commissioned to go be the church. Go be the church. What does it look like to be the church? It looks like having the joy of representing him. 
It's like we were always supposed to do. Remember the garden? Images in charge of representing him in this world. What does it mean to be the church? It means to, to be recommissioned back into the role that was always intended for us, to represent him in this world, to be images of redemption right here in the sin and in the mud, to be light right here in the darkness, to be on mission, to build for the kingdom of God, to do things in the name and character of Jesus, generosity, worship, healing, love, bringing hope, things that are eternal, right here in the middle of a world that seems to be passing away. Can we remember the joy of being his ambassadors? And the beautiful thing about this story is not only are we recommissioned and called, every single person in here, to be an ambassador of Christ, but we are not alone as we do it, the joy of the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't just have Jesus' example to follow, although we do have that, and that's a blessing. And we don't just have the scriptures to guide us and lead us and teach us, although we do have that, and that's a blessing, but we have the Spirit of God put within us. This is what we believe is the church. The church walks around with the Spirit of God within us, the same Spirit that hovered above the waters in Genesis chapter 1 and breathed this good world into existence, the same Spirit that came upon Jesus in his baptism before he went into his mission of being the Messiah, the same spirit that rolled the stone away and raised Christ from the dead. We have that power. We have that presence. Can we find joy in that? That that's who you are? That that spirit dwells within you? That is your power? That spirit is transforming you? That spirit is guiding you? That through the spirit, we as the church have the power to please God? We have the power to obey him? We have the means now of casting our anxiety upon him and maybe even in this life being filled with peace. You want to know who you are in this world? You are saved, suffered for, purchased, redeemed, empowered, and equipped. And so what is it that we come together on days like this to celebrate? What, what do we celebrate as the church? We celebrate redemptive history. You know, it's not an idea it's not a concept, it's not a theory, it's history. We celebrate God's movement in the world. We come together and we remember our joy. To be a Christian is to remember your creation, to remember your salvation, to remember the purpose of your life, the presence of the Holy Spirit, God's insistence on being with you, his consistent choosing of you in spite of ourselves. His mercy, his grace, his love, the hope that is now within us and the joy that we have that nobody can take from us because no matter where you are, and no matter your circumstances, no matter what's happening in your life, it is that God that we worship. It is that God who did that history, who moved that plan forward. That is our God. And so this now is our reality. The reality of your life as a Christian is that there has never been a time when God was not moving towards you in love and towards his world in love. There are times where we are not moving towards him in love, that is for sure. But there's never been a time, including this moment, no matter what you're going through, no matter what evil is in your life right now, no matter what is being afflicted upon you, there's never been a time including right now, where God is not moving towards you in love. This is the God that we worship. That is the God who created us in joy and saved us in joy. And in a very real sense, we are simply products of that joy. 
You know, we the church going into this Easter season, we stand as the fruit of the joy of God that has been at work from the very beginning. Frederick Buchner says, God created us in joy and created us for joy. And in the long run, not all the darkness there is in the world and in ourselves can separate us from that joy. Because whatever else it means to say that God created us in his image, I think it means that even when we cannot believe in him, even when we feel most spiritually bankrupt and deserted by him, his mark is deep within us. We have God's joy in our blood. We are a product of his joy, created and saved by and in his joy. And so we can try to be cynical. And I actually think we can decide to be cynical. But when we remember the story, the story speaks for itself. What we just went through together, the story of God creating us, chasing us, finding us, and redeeming us, that is where we are in this moment. That is what we are a product of in this moment. That is our reality. We, as the church, are simply a summation of that glorious history, the joyful creation and that joyful redemption. And so our joy should be inexpressible and glorious because it is this joy that fills our souls, that tells our story and defines our being. And when we remember it, I think that the joy is inescapable. Now there will be trials. There will be tragedy. Uh, this life will hurt you. You know, we joyful Christians, we're not overly optimistic about this world. We're not naive. We celebrate a crucified God. We know what this world is like. We know what it is. But the circumstances cannot define our joy because the story of joy that I just read, the story of joy that we are a product of, and the story of joy that we are now participants in, that story defines us. That is who we are. No matter the circumstances, our identity is transcendent of what is happening in our life because we're a product of that and we are participants in that. From the heavens came a savior, from the ground arose a king. Can we find joy in that? Can we find joy in our story? Do we believe that that's true? Can we step into that? Not just the belief, but the mission and the purpose and all that God has for us in this life. Now you, I don't, you might be new to, to church or you might not have heard all of this before, but doesn't it sound amazing? Doesn't it sound like something you wanna be a part of? That God, that history, that power, that victory. And so come and join. You know, we learn and we grow in understanding and knowledge in this community. But the joy of the story is obvious and it's palpable. And so come and join. Come and join. Come find us in the hallway. Text us. Call us. Accept Jesus. Be baptized here. And come with us and try to walk in our recommissioned life as joyful images of God who get to bring his goodness into the world through our love and our sacrifice and our worship of him. And for those of us in the room who are Christians, we have to remember. You know, as we move towards Easter, we have to remember the story. We have to remember God, we have to remember our salvation, and we have to remember our joy. Can we do that? Do we believe that?
Good. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, not just for something that we believe, but we thank you for something that you've done. We thank you that you've moved heaven and earth just to be with us. We thank you that we now are all invited into what we were always supposed to be, that the joy of our created purpose has become the joy of our saved purpose. And I just pray that you give us the capacity to see that, that you give us the ability to feel that, and that you give us the opportunity to move in that. God, I pray for every single person in this room who feels the pull of the Holy Spirit right now to move into a relationship with you or to move into a life honoring you, to move into a life of mission and purpose for you. I pray that that feeling does not go away as they leave this building today. I pray that that feeling is moved on, that you, who are more faithful than we will ever be, are faithful in this moment. For whoever uh, is moved by your story and whoever sees your redemption and wants a piece of it, God, move in their life, move strongly, do what only you can do, and be with this church. Bless us as we move towards Easter Sunday and allow us to celebrate you in joy properly, to celebrate you as we should because of all that you've done for us. We love you. As a church, we believe in you and we submit to you and we give you our whole hearts. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to sing this song again.
whisper in the silence Sweeps the harvest in the seed Everybody, thanks for watching today. If you have questions, want to get connected, have a prayer request, or just need somebody to talk to, you can text the number on the screen. We love you guys. Thanks for watching today, and we'll see you later.